Hello, everyone. Welcome to the brand new season of For the Love of Books podcast featuring Indian small press authors with host author Emma Palova. I would like to thank our sponsors, Doc Chavant and authors Hilton Everett Moore and Ed Bentley. Together, we've been bringing you stories for 130 years. Today, I will be chatting with author Ed Bentley, who will announce the details of his book giveaway of What a Way to Go, Death in Oshkosh, in the 1880s at the end of the interview. Ed's hobby as a researcher in genealogy led him to researching early American artists and journalism in the 1880s. The writing enabled him to literally visualize the incredible loss of life as if it were happening in front of Ed at that moment. Hello, Ed. How are you? Yes, hi. <laughs> You're excellent, right? Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. Finished my coffee. Okay, that, good. That Sixteen That's ounces the... gets you going. Yep. Okay, I'm going to start us off with your own quote. My intention in assembling these life-ending stories is to share the fascination with and the appreciation for journalism in the 1880s. Such a relief it is that our own future is hidden from us. I love the last sentence because it's so true. What inspired you to assemble these life-ending stories? Well, I started research way back in the 1900s, 19, <clears throat> excuse me, 1985, doing research on a uh, an artist that happened to live in Oshkosh in the 1870s and 1880s. And a girlfriend of mine at that time was just fascinated with the way that so many of the articles were written. And she kept digressing at the research I was doing because I was reading the, uh, the microfilm Mm -hmm. And she kept reading the articles around the article that I was writing down. And pretty soon I was noticing, uh, let's see, I'll read it myself. Um, I noticed that as mention was made almost weekly of the frightening loss of life and limb, the use of language enabled, enabled me to visualize much of the intense pain and suffering of the individuals involved in these events and also of the friends and relatives surrounding them. In other words, it was the language, the way that the writers wrote. Yep. Uh, which one of these stories is your favorite one and why? Well, the favorite, if you want to call it that, I don't know how you can, <laughs> <laughs> you, you can't really call somebody's death scene a favorite. It, it's hard to say that because it is somebody's death. <clears throat> the only reason it's my, it's the death is because of the 
journalism and the way it's right. written. Right. And I, I would have to say it's the, the soap guy. Okay, and, the soap guy. <laughs> yes. And I, I want to say I have to leave it at that for marketing purposes. Right, right. I understand. <laughs> no spoilers here. How complex was this project? Uh, well, the Oshkosh Daily News in the 1880s was written on a daily, well, came out or was published on a daily basis. And the daily happenings of the articles locally was published on page four. So after a while, all I looked at was page four, but it okay. was all on microfilm. So you had to look on page four, but you had to go up and down the columns mm -hmm. to look at it. And you had to peruse each one, each article to see how involved it was. There was many obituaries, of course, but there was also many articles. And of course, once they started writing about something horrible happening, you, of course you had to, well, initially I had to literally write out the article before, after a few years, they were, I was able to photograph it. And then of course I had, when I got back to wherever I had to type out the article so it could be transposed for a book. Okay, so your major resource was uh, the microfilm machine? Yes. Okay, I'm going to know that. How was journalism in the 1880s different from today's journalism? <laughs> <laughs> I uh, knew you would love this question. And I'm uh, a journalist myself, so I want to know. Well... How how would you describe a scene versus how would the 1880s describe a scene? How legally are you allowed to describe a scene versus back then they were literally, I would think, bound to describe it as gory as possible, <laughs> whereas now you have to be, I would ask you, how... Are you limited in how much blood and? <laughs> yes, I have. Are to you be, limited? Yes, I have to be very careful. Okay. <laughs> and sometimes uh, we don't even make the paper, the stories. You know, one of my major stories about a police chief never made the paper because we couldn't get the witnesses on the record. And so it never made the paper. Oh, mm -hmm. so it is very different because look at the White House, how they report and the PR, the PR public relations. I mean, that's propaganda, right? Mm. Uh -huh. Yeah. So this that is, changes everything. Yes. This is generally first person and gory as heck. Good. Good. How long did it take you to write What a Way to Go? Well, I started assembling it back in 1985. I initially was ready to publish it in 2012, 
and it was actually semi-published <clears throat> with a publishing company down in uh, uh, Marshall, Michigan. Okay. And I actually had the book in my hot little hands and the back cover was not correct. And they said, oh, okay, we'll have it redone. And they took this box of already published books back and went out of business. Oh, gosh. <laughs> so what did you do after that? And well, then another person bought all the rights and basically I got a stick with my book on it and uh, it went in my drawer. Okay. Until a couple years ago when a friend of mine, I was helping with another project and she started publishing children's books and I asked her if she would help me with this one and the results are the book that I have out now. Awesome. Congratulations. So, thank you. And yes, it helps to ask for help sometimes. Of course, always, always. What was the most challenging in writing this book? Uh, I would say being the editor, going back over mm -hmm. and over. Okay, and getting the, yeah. And, and how much do you really edit it? The, the way that it was written, they have run-on sentences. And trying to read out loud is the really a challenge where you, oh, if you just go ahead and read it out loud, it, it reaches a point that doesn't even make sense. Okay. And you have to <laughs> literally practice it. <laughs> and, and I have found reading seven articles out loud will take me nearly half an hour. Oh, geez. So, <laughs> okay. How about what was the most gratifying part? Holding it in my hand when I'm done. I bet. <laughs> uh, most authors say that. What are the major takeaways from I this think, book? I would think just having done it. Just having done it, yep. Yep. A any surprises, discoveries, or epiphanies from writing this book? I would think the sum total of actually realizing that back in the 1880s, there's no car accidents. Um, there's also no shootings, uh, no walking down the street gunfights. There's no, there's no murders by guns other than one accidental child's death. I didn't find any of that. So Ed, enlighten us. How did people die? They, ha, ha, ha. <laughs> Good lead in. Thank you very much, Emma. <laughs> you will have to read the book. There is over, there's something like 50 deaths in there. Okay. Not All obituaries, right. deaths in the 1880s. And you will have to read the book. They are not normal. Okay. Course, All right. There's, there's a lot of logs. There's a lot of swimming. There's a lot of weird stuff. Okay. Sounds good. Railroads too. Uh, yes. Rail. Oh yeah, absolutely. Horses. How about horses? Yes. <laughs> okay. What do you feel you did right? No one else could have done it like you. 
the fact that I did it. <laughs> okay, sounds good. What would you have done differently? Uh, differently? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. It's, it's the only one I've ever done. Okay, fine. Um, I might have considered doing an 1890s or an 1870s. Earlier. Or okay. Earlier, yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. But at uh, not now. <laughs> all right. Would you do it all over again, your writing career? Do you have any regrets? This, this is a career? You mean it's over already? No, no. Um, it's going on. Would you do okay. it all over again? I would love to do more. Okay. I doubt I will simply because of the time involved. There is an awful lot of uh, busy work. Mm -hmm. it, it, it's just that, busy work. You just work. read and look and look and you just find the little bits. It's like doing the genealogy. Right. Right. All right. What is the most bizarre or interesting thing that has ever happened to you during an in-person author event or virtual? Uh, generally, I, when I'm describing some of these deaths to people, they just can't believe the way some of these deaths happen. I bet. Uh, okay, what's next for Ed? What's next? Well, hopefully some of the marketing. Mm -hmm. Okay. That, I'm finding that is the most challenging aspect of doing this. Really? Why? It's not that hard. Um, I do it all the time. Right. And, and I, I talk with other authors how they get, do it. Yeah, if I can get in contact with you and you're going to help me, that's the idea. <laughs> people helping people, yes. Yes, absolutely. It, I'm just one another one of those authors holding a book. But the thing is, I have to tell people about the contents of the mm -hmm. book. And right. then all of a sudden, people are very interested. Yes. Because Remember yesterday at our episode, John Winkleman said that he loves your cover of yes. the book. Yeah. I All right. That. I did Okay. And now we're down to it. Would you like to read to us? Well, I've practiced a couple. So uh, let's see what you think. This is. Well, these are from the 1880s. I didn't write them. Hopefully I can read them so that they're... Just go ahead with it here, Emma. Yeah, go ahead. You have like um, maybe 10 minutes. Okay. Well, I've got to... Before a we run out of time. Okay. <clears throat> the Awful Accident. Further details of the beheading of Adolf Nidolf, the boy trap has finally been remedied. The beheading of the poor boy Adolf Nidolf Friday afternoon on Main Street Bridge 
was one of the most horrible things that ever happened in this city. The spectacle was too horrible for description. The head not, did not appear to be cut off, but the neck seemed to be pulled out of the trunk as the top would be pulled out of a decayed onion, disclosing a hole surrounded by crushed bone and torn and lacerated muscles. Mr. Powers, the sewing machine agent, stood within an arm's length of the boy, but on the opposite side of the trestle work and discovered him just as the draw was approaching the standard of the trestle. He had but an instant to think. He saw the boy's neck reaching around the corner of the iron-covered cord of the draw. He knew that a second more and that neck would be severed. Quickly, he reached around the end of the standard with his left hand and attempted to push, push the boy's head down below the projecting end of the cord into the wider space below. But at that instant, his head had struck the stand and Mr. Powers' head arm went into the jam with the boy's body. The boy's body and Mr. Powers' head hand, my apologies, hand were crowded into a space of less than five inches. There was not a lisp from the boy's lips nor a groan or a moan, no sound save the dull crunching and crushing and grinding of human bones. Mr. Powers was held fast and the draw had to be backed up to free the body and Mr. Powers' hand. The wrist, wrist bones of the hand were totally crushed and Mr. Powers were carry it in a sling for many days and will probably never recover the full use of the joint even if none of the splinter bones will have to be taken out. A younger brother witnessed the beheading of the boy and started immediately for home as fast as he could run, nearly frightened out of his wits. A coroner's jury was soon summoned and an inquest held. The verdict was accidental death. Of course, no one can be attached to the bridge tender. A body was subsequently removed to the home his parents uh, of Siapa Street near the lake. It, it is stated by the neighbors that the family had moved to this city only 10 days ago. Alderman Wiesbrod, after consultation with the city authorities last Saturday, had the outer standards of the trestle work cut away so that there is now full three feet of space where there was before only five inches. With this improvement, it will be impossible for another accident of this kind to happen. This is the fifth person who has been injured in the draw and the second boy within the past two years who has been killed. Both of the fatal accidents happened in precisely the same manner. It would be no more than justice if the city paid all the expenses incident upon the funeral and burial above the boy's remains. Oshkosh Daily News, June 3rd, 1880. All right. Do you have more for us? Oh, my God. I got 50 if you got time. Uh, about, how about your favorite one about the soap man? No, way too long. Wait. <laughs> how about just an excerpt? No. No. Okay. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not ready for up that. Up to you. No. Up to you. Totally up to you. Okay, I got a <clears throat> an interesting one here. Carve to kill. 
is what an unknown man did to himself Wednesday afternoon and succeeded in committing a most horrible suicide. Wednesday, the south side of the vicinity of Kansas Street was thrown into an excitement by the alarm that was given that an unknown man had been found dead in a pool of blood in a boarding house on 10th Street near the CNN WRR depot kept by Mr. F.W. Summerfield. The police hurried to the spot and found that the report was too true and that in the upper room lay the man stretched out upon the floor on his back dead with great and awful gashes in his arms, wrist, and neck and the entire contents of his arteries poured out upon the floor in a great wide red sea. The body was not disturbed until Justice Reichman and a coroner's jury could be summoned when an inquest was immediately held. From the testimony of the witnesses and the appearances surrounding the suicide, the following particulars have been harvested. The dead man was a perfect stranger who came to board at Summerfields about two weeks ago, paying his board one week in advance. He gave his name as Witeski and said that he had come down from the woods, but beyond this, nothing was known of him. He appeared to be suffering from spells of melancholy and talked to himself a great deal occasionally saying something about the death of a little girl, and then now he had nothing to live for. Wednesday morning, he was at breakfast, but after that, he was never seen alive. Mrs. Summerfield tried to get into the room to do the chamber work several times during the day, but the, but the door was locked. Shortly before six o'clock, she asked her husband to go and see what the matter was. Finding the door still locked from the inside, he burst the door open, when a horrible sight met his gaze. There lay the strange boarder dead. He lay, uh oh, on his back with one arm stretched out and the other doubled up, while under and about him was a scarlet pool of blood, some six feet square, thick and coagulated. Spurts of blood were seen around the room and across the bed and pillows to the wall beyond. Just back of his head lay an open jackknife covered with blood. Summerfield gave the alarm, which brought the police and the coroner's jury. On examination of the body, it was found the man had carved himself frightfully in his deadly work. Judging from the fact that he bled to death from the severing of an artery in the right, in the right arm below the elbow, this theory was at once formed. With the right knife in his right hand, he had cut the gash around one side of his neck under the ear had inflicted a cut in his left wrist, severing the tendons, and had sla slashed his left arm just below the elbow. In none of these cuts had he suffered an artery, and the bleeding from them seems to have been comparatively little. Then taking the, kni the knife in his left, he had cut it in his left he hand, he had cut a gash across his left arm just below the elbow, cutting clear to the bone, completely severing the radial artery. A spurt of blood diagonally across the bed, over the pillows, and onto the wall beyond shows where he stood when he made the last carve. He undoubtedly then fell in about the position he lay when found, the knife falling about his head to the left side. Apparently, all the blood on his body had flowed out upon the floor. The jury, upon hearing all the evidence, returned a verdict of suicide while la laboring under a fit of insanity. 
All righty, I must say, they were a lot more graphic back then than nowadays. <laughs> you think so? <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, that's my conclusion. <laughs> I really, well, I'm so glad you came to that conclusion. I'm glad the other people that were living there at the time did too. Okay. So can you announce the details of your book giveaway? Well, I I guess what you usually give your give a email address and yeah. Please give us your email address and the first listener who emails you with the podcast giveaway subject line will get a signed copy of your book. Oh, Just okay. give us your email address twice. Okay. The My email is at E-P-A-T-G-A-L, the number two at yahoo.com. That's epatgal2 at yahoo.com. The book, the title of the book is What a Way to Go, Death in Oshkosh in the 1880s. And I will make a point of signing the book. And I am on Amazon. And what else would you like, Emma? Uh, are you going to be at any in-person author events during the holiday season? I don't have anything lined up yet. Okay. Okay. As of yet. Good. Okay, parting shots from each one of us. You first, you're my guest. What is your parting shot? What would you like to leave our guests with? Um, well, I'd like to say that uh, just reading from my book, death is, well, inevitable. Most of us are unfortunate enough to leave this earth in the company of those we love and cherish and having made peace with those in our lives. There are those who leave under very under, uh, undesirable circumstances. Uh, I would ask that you remember those souls. I would like to uh, I'm sorry. I would only ask that you remember these souls briefly and with me shake your heads uh, at their incredibly sad loss of life. See the horror associated with their demise and find empathy with those left behind. Yeah. And that, I love your last line. Such I a relief. Repeat that. Mm -hmm. Such a relief it is that our own future is hidden from us. Excellent. I love that. I absolutely love that closing line. That and, <laughs> and my parting shots are write indie, buy indie, and read indie. Read your local newspapers for inspiration. Keep your fingers on the keyboard and your butt in the chair. Thank you for listening. Yes, thank you. I appreciate it too. <laughs>